Okay, it's 2 o'clock, and we are live here on the John Riley Project. Thanks for joining us here on our live stream, and we're going to be breaking down the election results. And and we're probably going to be a, it's a little too early, right? You know, they haven't made all the final decisions, and votes are still being calculated. We've got partial data, and I'm just going to share some thoughts, some commentary. We've had some really interesting conversations already this morning with some of my friends and neighbors. And 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 everything else. So we're, we're going to go through it. And um, you know, I I got to believe this today must be one of the all time worst days for worker productivity. You know, because we're all so distracted and we have anxiety about what's going on with the elections and everything else. So I'm going to go through the federal, the state, and the local. And I'm going to kind of quickly move through the federal and the state because I want to save a lot more of my thoughts and commentary on the local level. And I know a lot of people in our audience really enjoy the conversation about the local issues. So we will do there, but I'm going to kind of go sort of in a hierarchical uh, uh, method as I go through this. Um, But hey, you know, as we're getting started, the one thing you can do is if you can like the episode, share it with a friend, subscribe. That's always helpful as we work to build our audience. Um, Okay, so let's talk a little bit. Let's start at at the top. Let's go to the national level. And I mean, Everything is changing. I think I just saw something just like a few moments ago that Biden has now won Michigan. And so, um, you know, I was last night I was playing with one of those interactive electoral college maps and and trying to play around with it. And pretty much the way that I've been kind of figuring the most logical path for Biden to win is he has to win. Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And apparently he's already won Michigan and Wisconsin. And apparently Arizona seems to be reasonably in his favor. But Nevada is the one that we don't know about yet. It's darn close. I know they're not going to do another update until tomorrow. Um, I'll tell you what, I was just in Nevada, like for about the last week or so in a rural part of Nevada. The Trump enthusiasm in Nevada is really, really strong. And you know, don't assume anything, you know, with Nevada. That one could still go either way. Uh, so, again, this is just all interesting. It's all fascinating. Um, I know I... I, I was I was pretty upset when Trump got up on stage and declared victory for himself. I think that's kind of undermining the whole election process. I mean, on other issues, I like it when a politician tries to frame the frame the debate or frame the issue you know before the issue is framed on him. Uh, but in an election, I, I just thought it was a little bit underhanded. So, um, you know, we're going to see a lot of legal disputes as we go through this. You know, I'm prepared to handle the national election either way. It's interesting is one of our longtime listeners and viewers, Pete Neald, did the analysis and he said that um, the city of Poway, uh, majority of, of Poway citizens thus far um, have voted for Biden, which is interesting because Poway is such an overwhelmingly Republican town. So I'm interested in kind of verifying that data. I'll trust but verify with Pete on that. Um, you know, a lot of conversations about the Electoral College. You know, again, Biden's ahead in the in the popular vote, not the Electoral College. You know, the Electoral College, I I'm not in favor of it. I think it should be a popular vote. I know back in the day when the state sovereignty was a bigger deal, the federal government was way, way, way smaller, and it just sort of loosely tied all the states together. 
the electoral college makes sense in that kind of a framework, but the world has changed. You know, is there going to be a congressional or constitutional amendment? Probably not. Uh, so I, it's just it's interesting. I think we're going to learn a lot more as we go. But I think as far as it comes down to presidential election, the main message I want to deliver with you is what I talked about in my previous podcast. You are the president of you. So always remember that, you know, whether Trump wins or Biden wins, most likely your world, your life is not going to change that much. It probably is just going to be a little bit on the margins. You know, some people might have some significant change, but generally speaking, most people are not going to see that big of a difference in their lives. So just remember, the focus should be on you. You are the president of you. So always keep that in mind. Um, Also, sort of at a, I'll put in quotes, national level, it's very interesting to see that we've had a number of states that have voted to approve marijuana in their states, which I think is great news. Um, We're seeing um, recreational marijuana in New Jersey, Arizona, and Montana. We're seeing medical marijuana in South Dakota and Mississippi. Um, already 11 states allow marijuana and plus the District of Columbia. And they even voted to uh, allow magical mushrooms in the state of Oregon. It's just I think this is great. Now, I'm not saying I'm advocating for drug use, but I do think that as drug laws are relaxed, um, I think that's going to change a lot of what's going on in society. I think we'll see less criminal injustice. We're going to see less police brutality. We're going to see less um, gun violence um, if drugs are legalized. I mean, very similar to when alcohol was legalized almost a century ago. So I'm really happy to see this. I think this is indicative of the failed policies of of Reagan and Nixon. I was talking to one of my friends online this morning about that. And yeah, this drug war is just an utter disaster and it's leading to mass incarceration. And that was the bill that, you know, one of the tough on crime bills that Biden put forward in the early 90s, locked more people up in prison, creates a lot more of this, this, um, you know, these protests, these, in many cases, very rightful protests on the street. I think a lot of it can be relaxed if we relax the laws on drugs. So I'm happy to see some more progress, more states, you know, legalizing marijuana and even magic mushrooms in Oregon. So right on. Um, yeah, so all good. And uh, but let's take a look at the state, um, the state races first before we go super local. And um, the ballot measures are very interesting. And right now, only about 72 percent have reported in California. The medical research bonds, the stem cell research that is um, up by, you know, 51.1 percent. Yes. So it's relatively close. I predicted this was going to win. I, I voted against it. Um, I, I think stem cell research is important, but I think um, uh, I don't think we should be taking out a giant loan to do it. Um, then going down the list here, uh, California Prop 15, changing the commercial property tax. This one is leading or excuse me, is losing right now. Fifty one point seven percent against it. I'm very happy to see that result. That's how I voted. I voted against 15, but I predicted that 15 would pass, you know, because this is for more funding for schools and usually those kinds of measures pass. Um, Going down the list here, where are we? Uh, Prop 16, ending the diversity ban. I think this is you know, it's failing. So, you know, they wanted to essentially re-implement racial discrimination, racial quotas, decision-making based on race at the state level 
it for a lot of, you know, for, for college admission and for contracts and they have uh, declined that it's going down. I'm surprised by this, but I am happy to see that one losing um, props uh, 17 restoring the felons uh, ability to vote. That is up by 59%. That's great news. I think if once you get out of prison, you should have all your rights and liberties restored. So I'm happy to see that uh, prop 18 allowing Age 17 voters to vote in the primary, that's losing 55.1% no so far. That's kind of as I expected it. I, I thought most voters are usually distrustful of younger people voting. I would have liked to have seen that pass. I voted yes on it. Um, moving quickly down the list here, Prop 19, changing the property tax rules. That one was confusing. I voted no, but it's winning. It's up right now 51.5%. Prop 20, this is the tough on crime, and and um, I was a big no on this one, and it is going down to sound defeat. It's down you know, 62.3% against. That's good to see. Prop 21, the rent control one, this was surprising to me. This one's losing 59.8%, so it will be defeated. Um, I thought this was going to pass because so many people are concerned about affordable housing in the state of California. But maybe people are finally waking up to the fact that rent control is a really bad policy and that it has a lot of unintended consequences that raises rents in other parts of our city. So that one seems to be going down and, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of moving quickly through this because I want to get to the local stuff, but I do want to touch on the national and state levels. And I'm going to really go deeper when we get into the local issues and have a whole bunch of thoughts and commentary. Um, Prop 22, this is the one that would allow the Uber and Lyft and DoorDash drivers to be private contractors. Remember, they used to be private contractors. Then the state said that was illegal. You have to be an employee. Uber and Lyft spent tons of money uh, to try to change the law back. And it appears this is going to pass. So 58.4% are voting yes on Prop 22. And so I think we're going to see that independent contracting is going to be re-embraced. I'm very happy to hear that um, because I make my living as an independent contractor, um, not as an Uber driver, uh, but I do consulting work. And so uh, I'm generally in favor of independent contracting, people getting more management, more control of their life work balance. I think there's so much upside. Uh, But anyways, that one's passing. That's great news. The dialysis clinic, Prop 23, that one's going down. That's a no vote, 64% no. I voted no. Everyone seems to be going no on that. That's good to hear. Prop 24, expanding consumer privacy. That one's passing as expected. And Prop 25, the approval of uh, Replacing cash bail, that one is losing also as expected. Um, So interesting. I think generally speaking, I'm reasonably happy with a lot of these. I'm more happy than unhappy with the California propositions. And the ones that I was most concerned with um, are all breaking my way, which I'm happy to hear. That was Prop 15 And 16 and 22, I think, were the three I was most interested in. So, you know, we're live streaming. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We welcome your thoughts, your comments. We'll read them on the air. We'll have a little bit of a conversation. Um, But, um, yeah, those are the, you know, we're at 72% in on the state propositions. Is some of that going to change? Well, we'll see. But anyways, let's let's get into the local uh, races. I think this is where a lot of people have thoughts and comments. And let's go down on this list here. And 
when I say local, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about countywide, city of San Diego, uh, definitely issues here in my local hometown of Poway. We're going to go through a lot of that uh, races for Poway Unified School District. Now, I didn't follow every single race all across the county, but there are a number of them that I did focus on. And I, I think they're really important that we touch on them. Now, I want to do I want to share one story. And, you know, I was a candidate in 2014 and uh, it was very interesting, the dynamic of how the the results come out and, you know, you get the first wave of results and then you get the second wave of results and you're always hopeful that you're going to see movement, you know, that you're going to move up in the polls. What I found for me um, in my race in 2014 is that things didn't change much every time there was another update. Um, you know, generally speaking, the stack ranking of candidates in my race in 2014 didn't really change. Actually, there was a tiny change at the end, but for the most part, they don't change. And so we see these election results that are coming in. We're already at the second preliminary announcement. About 64% of the ballots have been turned in in San Diego County. And I know, you know, we're, we're focusing on the remaining 36%, but a lot of times the numbers aren't going to shift dramatically. Now, at the presidential level, it's a little different, right? Because we, we can see that if certain votes in urban areas are not being counted yet, we know those are going to probably lean Democrat and go Biden's way. Or there might be cases where they haven't counted all of the preliminary, you know, the, the mail-in ballots. And then you can make certain assumptions that maybe those are going to lean slightly Democrat. And people can make certain projections about where the future votes are likely to come in, what direction they're going to lean. But at the local level, it's hard to make those kinds of predictions. It's hard to tell. But my, my thought was, is that every incremental update, it's, it's almost like that first update, you know, when, when the registrar of voters released the data, there were 33% of the votes that were in roughly. Well, that's like an amazingly huge statistical sample size, right? I mean, usually samples of, of polls might only be a few thousand people that are being polled across the United States for the presidency um, or even for a statewide election. But in this case, if you have a local race and you have 33% of the people that have already voted and you're in second or third place, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to win because that you've got a significant sample size that's kind of already telling you. And usually that's what happens as the votes come in. Things generally, you know, the numbers might change a little, the percentages might go up or down, but generally speaking, the, the result itself, who comes in first, second or third, that usually doesn't change much. Um, so. That said, let, let's kind of go through these numbers and the congressional races. And we'll start with the one in the 50th district. And right off the top, I'm going to violate the, the rule I just shared with you, because now Daryl Issa is is beating, um, you know, Camp and Najjar and Camp and Najjar had the initial lead, but it was really close. And then now Issa is is going to, you know, is in first place now. How, how far in it is he? Let's um, let me take a look here and I can look it up. And Isa is, 
There he is. He's at 52.14%. So that's roughly a 4.5% spread. You know, most likely ICE is going to end up winning this thing. And I know the Democrats and Camp and Najjar are going to be really bummed. You know, Camp and Najjar was a great candidate in 2018, came up short. He had a lot of momentum. He's been campaigning nonstop for three years. Um, but, uh, you know, that's an overwhelmingly Republican area. It's amazing that the Democrat is doing this well. Uh, so anyways, ISA's winning in that one. Um, in the 52nd district, which is my own district, Scott Peters seems to be winning handily over Jim DeBello. And then in the 53rd, and I you know, generally wouldn't comment much on the 53rd congressional district, but I had one of the candidates in that race was a guest on my podcast, Fernando Garcia, who ran as an independent, not as a Republican or a Democrat. And we had a great conversation. But you know, who's winning this thing is Sarah Jacobs. And she's she's up over um, Georgette Gomez. And this is kind of going the way I expected as well, because J- Jacobs is the granddaughter of Qualcomm founder Irwin Jacobs. She's got money. She's got name recognition. This is the second time she's run for Congress. Um, she moved to move into a new district so she can she can do that. So um, it looks like she's going to win that race. At the state assembly race, there's really only one that I'm commenting on, and it's the the Mainshine. Um, Brian Mainshine is winning over June Cutter Yang. Again, that's kind of as I expected. Mainshine is, I think, from does he live in Carmel Mountain? I think, and I think he might have grown up here in Poway. Generally, a very likable guy. But he switched teams and now he's a Democrat and he really upset a lot of Republicans. Uh, But the Democrats love him and he definitely has been kind of he's a political creature. He goes in the direction the wind is blowing and he knew if he stayed a Republican, his uh, his um, career might be shortened. And he switched to the Democrats and he's continuing to win, Um, just like, you know, savvy political creatures do. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the county supervisor races. And there's really two that I've been following. It's District 2 and District 3. District 2 is the one that's in my district. And this one's interesting to me because... Poway Mayor Steve Voss is in this race and and he's winning, but just barely. I mean, this is an insane close race. Steve Voss is at 50.28% and Joel Anderson is at 49.72%. So it's like roughly a half of 1% that separates them. It's about 1,250 votes out of over 200,000 cast. And so uh, this to me is amazing. Now, this is breaking the way that I predicted. If you watch my podcast on the election predictions, Joel Anderson had the most votes in the primary and they took the top two. But I had seen Steve Voss making a lot of comments and acting policy here in Poway that was maybe more attractive to independents and Democrats, where Joel Anderson has always been like that hardcore Republican. And um And, you know, Voss himself is a hardcore Republican, too, but Voss kind of playing the game, trying to attract other voters. And I thought that he was going to be able to get just enough of those Democrats and Indies to push him over the top. So far, that's true. But the the race has narrowed. So the from the. Original projection, I think Voss might have been up by one or one and a half percent. Now he's only up by a half a percent with about two thirds of the votes in. So is this going to hold? You know, I'm I'm not sure yet. I think we're going to find out now. I voted for Voss and, um, you know, I got I met Steve Voss in 2014 and, you know, we got to know each other a bit because we were both candidates in that election. And. 
you know, Steve Voss generally, you know, there are things I like about him as mayor and there are things that I disagree with him on various issues. And my opinion of him has changed a little bit over time. Um, I would like to see a Poway person at the county level. I, Poway hasn't had that in a very long time. I think Jan Goldsmith might have been the last one. So I think Voss winning is good for Poway. Um, I also think that it would be very interesting to see a little bit of a shakeup in the Poway City Council. So if Voss leaves and the mayor's seat is open and then it's going to create this musical chairs and that's going to be a lot of drama and a lot of intrigue and it's going to be a shuffling of the deck at the city council level, which I would like to see, um, if nothing else, as a spectator sport. But I think that kind of turnover is a healthy process of how we can have more people in in government, um, you know, fresh faces, new ideas. So let's see how this plays out. But I know the Voss household is probably on the edge of their seat waiting for the next update from the registrar of voters because this is insane. It's like, yeah, like a half of 1%. Um, 1,250 votes roughly out of over 200,000 cast. That is something. Um, the, you know, and again, I welcome your thoughts and comments on this stream. You know, you can type in your comments on Facebook or on YouTube. I'll read them on the air. If you have some questions or you want to have a conversation, we can have a little fun. So let me know your thoughts and comments. This live stream is not just me on a soapbox. It's, it's meant to invite you to be part of the discussion. Um, the other race that I was following was district three and, this is uh, the one involving uh, former Encinitas mayor, uh, Kristen Gaspar, and, um, and she's uh, on the county supervisor uh, board now. And it looks like she's going down to defeat uh, to Tara Lawson Remmer. And I, I saw a part of a debate on television. I didn't think Lawson Remmer came off as very impressive in that debate, but I know there's a, you know, there's more, the demographics are shifting a bit in that district. There's more Democrats. Um, but it's interesting to us in Poway because there's this kind of Encinitas Poway connection, you know, because I know Voss has been very friendly with Gaspar. Um, the Kaylin Frank, who is our city council person, was born, we're well, not born, but she was raised in Encinitas, and her mother was the former mayor of Encinitas, and and um, so there is a little bit of a Poway Encinitas connect, which makes that race interesting. But Kristen Gaspar looks to be going down to defeat, um, so that's interesting. Uh, Pete Neal said, "Are you going to?" discuss Prop P and the mix with North-South Poway, feel free to share my analysis. And yes, Pete, I will. Um, I, I'm going to get down to that. I'm kind of going in hierarchical order. Okay. So I did the president. I did the state propositions. I'm in the county level. And let's just talk a little bit about the city of San Diego. Um, I, you know, granted it's the mayor of San Diego. It doesn't affect me as much. Um, but I know that was a really close race, Gloria and Barbara Bree. And the polls were pretty dead even, but it appears that Todd Gloria is winning this one pretty strongly. So, I mean, what are the numbers up to here for Todd Gloria? Um, he's up 56.29% to 43.71. So, you know, I was hopeful that we would see Barbara Bree win that if for nothing else that, you know, Gabby Dow, frequent guest on this podcast, she's been a huge supporter of Barbara Bree. I've always thought Todd Gloria, a little bit of a political creature as well, like Brian Mainshine and TJ Zane and others. Uh, but, 
you know, a lot of those political creatures know how to win elections. Um, so that's what we're seeing with Todd Gloria. You know, Barbara Bree, the more pragmatic problem solver. Uh, but it's unfortunate she's coming up a little bit short. Um District 5 is another interesting one because that covers a lot of this area near me. Rancho Bernardo, Rancho Penasquitos, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Saber Springs, 4S, Westwood, um, Rancho Bernardo. Yeah, so City Council District 5, uh, Marnie Von Wilpert looks like she's going to win this over Joe Leventhal. Again, um, you know, Gabby Dow was a big supporter of Von Wilpert. And I know she had events at her house and, and and fundraising. And I mean, you know, the Dow family is very active politically. Um, so I was kind of following that race peripherally, but I know a lot of my listeners and viewers are here in the Rancho Bernardo area, Rancho Penasquitos. So it is interesting to see what's going to develop in that race. Um, but let's move on. Poway Unified School District. Now, this was an interesting one that involves some of our uh, friends here in Poway. Um, and this was the one district or area E, and this was the one that covered the Southern part of Poway and, you know, roughly speaking, I think it was South of Twin Peaks and then Saber Springs. And this one I could have seen going either way. Um, I interviewed both Jimmy Karam and Cindy Seitzma, and I thought they were both very capable candidates. Karam had gotten the teacher's endorsement. I thought that might be enough to put him over the edge. I've been seeing a ton of advertising from Karam on my Facebook stream, but it looks like Cindy Seitzma is going to be winning this one. And um, let's uh, let's take a look at. Um, yeah, 57.8% to 42.1%. So Seitzma will win this. I know some people were saying it was the great Girl Scout um, movement, you know, because Cindy Seitzma has been very involved within the Girl Scout community here in Poway. And I'm sure that helped her, you know, build her network. But both of these candidates are excellent. You know, I interviewed both and I thought they both had great track records. They were both in it for the right reasons. So, um, you know, generally speaking, um, you know, I don't think there was a bad choice in this group, but uh, Cindy Seitzma is the is going to be the winner there. And then in the other Poway Unified District, this was area. What was it? Area A. And as expected, uh, Darshana Patel, the incumbent, is way up, like almost a two to one ratio, sixty two percent to thirty seven percent. So uh, Patel will win. The incumbents win. And generally speaking, incumbents always have an advantage. We're we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go a little deeper into this podcast. So um Moving on down the list here, let's take a look here in my hometown in the city of Poway. And there were two city council races that I think, and then also a local measure here. And these are the three big things that have been talked about in Poway now for the last number of months. So the first was District 2. And this was the incumbent Barry Leonard against uh, Phil Factor. And uh you know, I interviewed both of these candidates. In fact, I interviewed every candidate that was running for city council or school board in Poway. And I met them all and they're all good people. And, you know, Barry and, and Phil, they're both good people, but they're both very different uh, politically. Um, Barry is much more conservative and, and Phil is a humanist, right? So Phil definitely leans more left and Barry leans more right. Um, but uh, it looks like Barry Leonard is going to win this one. And I know that I've seen um, 
the, you know, the, the concession post from Phil Factor. And, you know, the, the count right now is 56 percent for Leonard and 43 for Phil Factor. The votes aren't fully counted yet. But like I said, the vote is probably not going to change. The stack order is not going to change much as they count the final one third of the vote. I'll tell you this, you know, even though Phil Factor came up short on this, he ran one hell of a campaign. I mean, he worked his butt off. I saw him out there on the street corners carrying a sign. I know he was, you know, knocking on doors. I mean, he gave it a, a hardcore effort. But I think it's hard, you know, for a person that maybe leans left to be um, successful in Poway. Um, I think we've seen that. Like our, our entire city council right now is all Republican. And Poway definitely, generally speaking, leans more right, more Republican. Um, but like I said, Pete Neal was telling me that the votes for president were the opposite. Poway people were voting more for Biden than for Trump. So maybe that tells you something about Trump. Um specifically and not Republicans as a general rule. Um, but anyways, I, I, I got to tip my hat to both of these men. Um, they both did a good job. And, um, um, and, and then, you know, I told this to Phil, you know, when I ran in 2014, I lost, um, but it was an extraordinarily valuable experience. I met so many people and I learned so many things and I'm better off as a person for doing it. I look back at that 2014 race for myself and I feel still really good about it. I mean, I'm upset I lost. I wish I would have won. But I was really thankful for the process. The process itself was just so rewarding. So for all these candidates that came up a little short, you know, it's probably going to sting a little bit, you know, for the next week or two. But hopefully you'll get to a point where you can appreciate and understand that. And then if you choose to run again, you'll be in a better spot. Um, the other race here at the local level was District 4, and this one is the, was the more intriguing one of the two. Um, because there were three candidates and, you know, we've been doing district voting in Poway. And this is the first time that South Poway actually had a district vote. Um, you know, previously we had always voted at large. We implemented the district votes in 2018, but the South Poway district wasn't going to come up until this election in 2020. And Kaylin Frank is going to win this. Um, and right now, you know, with about two thirds of the vote in, she has 49 Point six nine percent of the vote, and Chris Olps, um, who is a has run a few previous times and is fighting the good fight. And you know, I've interviewed Chris, and he's a very detail oriented guy. He does his homework, and I really appreciate that in Chris. Um, he's at thirty nine percent, and Frank Fournier, who most people didn't know about him, and he kind of entered the race, and everyone was like, "Who? Who are you?" And he got um, he's at eleven percent right now. So. It's interesting how this is all shaking out. Now, there's a bunch of comments here that we can go on on this race. I think when Frank Fournier entered the race, it really upset a lot of people that were supporters of Chris Olps because they were worried that he would split the vote or he would cause a situation like this where Kalen Frank might win, but not win with a majority. And sure enough, that's what happened. Kalen Frank is winning with only a plurality with just a smidge under the majority. Now, granted, we're, the votes aren't fully counted. Kalen Frank's at 49.69%. She might get above 50, but if she does, it'll just be barely. Um, the other I mean, you could put on your conspiracy theory hat, you know, your tinfoil hat and wonder, you know, was was Frank Fournier encouraged to be in this race? I mean, I don't know, you know, because I think we're learning as we go through this. But still, 
if you were to make that big of a leap on all of this, you would have to assume that every single voter for Frank Fournier, if if he wasn't on the ballot, they all would have voted for Chris Olps. Um, I don't think you can make that assumption. And even if you did, even if that happened, that Frank Fournier wasn't in the race and every one of those 476 votes went to Chris Olps, he would have barely won by just over 50 percent. So Frank Fournier's race in this, uh, Frank Fournier's entry into the race, it may appear that he was the difference maker. But if you really think about it from a probability perspective, it's highly unlikely that every single Frank Fournier vote would have only gone to one of the two candidates. Um, so it's a very interesting race. The um, the other part of it that is intriguing to me is that for the first time, uh, Poway has had, you know, a, a South Poway vote. And for the longest time, our neighbors in South Poway um, have, some of them have been frustrated uh, that they have never had a representative on the city council. It's usually always been people that lived in the, you know, so-called rich parts of Poway in North Poway, or maybe even the central parts of Poway. Um, You know, this district was carved up to be Um, You know, mostly south of Poway Road, generally speaking, there's some exceptions. Um, So you would think that if there was this groundswell of South Poway, you know, camaraderie and South Poway effort that not only would Chris Olps have won, but he would have won handily. But instead, the incumbent, Kalen Frank, won. Uh, Now, granted, I know incumbents always have an advantage, um, a natural advantage. But still, if if um, if there was such a how should I say um, a South Poway fervor and revolt, I would have expected these numbers to be different. Um, So it turns and, and what ended up happening is the election roughly speaking, is similar to 2018. I think people had done the analysis and took the at-large vote when Tory Powers and Tory Powers, Tony Russo and Kaylin Frank won. They parsed up the precincts just to match up with District 4. And that race came down to about that hypothetical race came down to a 32 point or 32 vote margin. If they were to have done this similar and, you know, it's it's, simple. How do I say this? It's almost identical this time, except it's slightly less than 50 percent for Kaylin Frank rather than slightly more. So the needle didn't move much from a percentage basis in South Poway for Kaylin Frank. Now, I'll say this. Kaylin Frank, um, I think has done a a very good job. I mean, she's been extremely communicative with people in South Poway. And I think that, you know, granted, she definitely votes um, aligned with Mayor Voss and with Barry Leonard. Um, They are of like minds. In fact, most of the city council are of like minds. But I don't necessarily have a complaint with Kaylin. Other than the fact that, you know, she was appointed to the city council with only living here for three months. That was unusual. That was odd. And that's that Poway Encinitas connection. Um, But I don't necessarily, now granted, I'm sure there's probably some people that have objections to Kalen, but I don't think, I don't have objections to her at all. Um, 
I don't, you know, Chris Olps is a, is a good guy too. And I might enjoy my conversation with Frank and there's some things that Frank and I agree on as well. Uh, but it is interesting because if you think about it, you know, the South versus North Poway, is it a real deal? Is it a real divide or is it mostly overblown? And I think I'm realizing this is mostly overblown. And we're going to talk a little bit about that with Measure P. But the other part of this that I think is worth commenting on is that the two people that won for Poway City Council are Barry Leonard and Kalen Frank. They both got their political career started by getting an appointment. Barry Leonard was appointed, I think, in 2015, and Kalen Frank was appointed in 2018, I think it was. Um, and once you're an incumbent, you have a huge natural advantage. Um, you have name recognition, you have higher levels of trust, you tend to be a lot more knowledgeable on the issues, and therefore you usually perform better in the debates. Now, granted, the challengers could you know, be as just as versed on the issues. And some of them are, and some of them aren't, but incumbents, you know, they get more press coverage, not just in the regional press on, you know, TV and the like, but they are also on, um, they're covered more in our local, uh, press and incumbents have a natural advantage. Now here we've seen incumbents get in, uh, or excuse, excuse me, people get appointed, then they become the incumbent then they win re-election. That happened with Barry Leonard in 2016 and again in 2020. That has happened with Kalen Frank in 2018 and again in 2020. So I think what's interesting is like if Steve Voss ends up winning this thing for, for county supervisor, that's going to open up the mayoral seat. And so is there going to be another appointment? And then someone becomes the incumbent mayor and then they have a natural advantage the election, next election cycle. And then to take it a step further, let's say one of the existing city council people are the one that is appointed to be the new mayor, which I think is highly likely in that scenario. Then who's going to replace that city council person? Is it going to be, again, someone that'll get the gig from an appointment? So I'm a big believer that we need to have more elections. The elections are, you know, elections at least have a degree of transparency and a degree of trust where the appointments sometimes like a little bit of an inside baseball thing. It's kind of who you know and how you work it. Um, You know, as much as I know they try to make the appointments as transparent and as above board as they can, there is always a degree of skepticism from people when they see people being appointed rather than people elected. Um, so I'm hopeful that we're going to see, um, we're going to see more elections. Um, now Mike divine, one of our frequent podcast viewers and listeners, he told me appointees become incumbents and then keep getting reelected. This has an effect on the next mayor race. So exactly Mike divine. That's exactly right. The other angle to this, that there's been a little bit of discussion online. I've been chatting with some people I know, and I've been seeing posts about this for the last number of weeks is the whole idea of term limits coming back. Um, should you know should we have term limits in the city of Poway now interestingly the city of Oceanside passed term limits in this election cycle the city of Santee had two different measures for term limits and they were slightly different and they both passed um and you know and they were and they were they were both for term limits but with just slight differences 
They both passed. There was a city, a school district in South Bay that had a term limit proposal on this election cycle, and it passed. Voters overwhelmingly want term limits because I think it's natural. We want to see fresh blood. We want to see new ideas. We want to see um, a healthy transition of power and new people coming forward. Um, but when we have a system now where, you know, you're appointed, you become an incumbent, then you have a natural advantage. And then that kind of creates, it kind of gives you a huge head start if you're an appointee rather than a winner of an election. So I know there's been some people online that have been clamoring for, for term limits and they're saying, well, if we're going to put a term limit proposal on the ballot here in Poway, maybe in 2022 or 2024, someone needs to step up and and really manage that initiative. Someone has to step up to the plate and say, hey, I'll do it. I'll run this initiative. I'll get it organized. I'll get the fundraising. I'll get this thing moving. Now, it would be smart if a person that is planning to be a candidate in the immediate or near future did this. That'd be a great thing for them because they get more name recognition. It would help them in their future campaign. But I'm hopeful that someone will come forward um, and push a term limit proposal here in the city of Poway. I think that would be a very healthy thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, let's go. Let's talk about Measure P. That's the last one we're going to get into here in Poway. And again, I, I welcome your thoughts and comments. You know, feel free to drop a message here on our Facebook or live or a Facebook live stream or our YouTube live stream, and we'll read them on the air. Measure P is the interesting one, and we've talked a lot about this in our podcast. This is the transformation of Stone Ridge Country Club into the farm in Poway, and. This one is winning and it's winning very handily. And so let's see, where is that one right now? It is, yeah, there it is. It's the yes is at 62% and the no is at 37%. I mean, that is a, actually a big switch because in 2018, or excuse me, in 2017, when the current owner Schlesinger put a ballot proposal forward, and it was kind of a quick one. It wasn't nearly as thought out as as Kevin McNamara's for the farm. Schlesinger's proposal went down to defeat. It was roughly 40% yes, 60% no, if I recall. This one is now actually 60, what is it? 62% yes and 37% no. So um, this one has been a major flip. And this this to me is intriguing. Now, Pete Neal, and he talked about this, said, hey, you're going to share my analysis. Pete Neal did, he got the numbers. And it's interesting is normally after the election, you know, the registrar of voters actually does a really good job sharing data. And sometimes we want to see the precinct by precinct votes so we can see how different parts of our city, our community, how they vote. That's how they did the analysis on that 2010, 2018, excuse me, 2018 open seat uh, to determine how Kaylin Frank hypothetically would do if it were carved up according to the district four lines. So it's fun to get those precinct numbers and you can experiment and do some hypotheticals. Well, before right now, the, the total votes aren't in. I think we're only at 70, no, excuse me, 64%. So uh, this, the, the registrar of voters hasn't released kind of the clean data, the data that's nicely presented. They, they, but they will release this very raw data and Pete Neal got a hold of it. And it was interesting the way he shared it with me, how 
there is a little bit of you re, it requires a, a sort of a decoder ring uh, because they will intentionally make people appear that they're in other districts when they vote so to, as a means of protecting privacy. And so you have to have like a um, like a Rosetta Stone to be able to translate it so you can actually see the real result. I know our conspiracy friends might think that's a little crazy, but apparently that's the way they've always done business. Well, Pete got the data and he looked through it and he actually looked at the precinct data for districts one, two, three, and four. And all of them were all, they were virtually identical as far as they were all passing prop P and they were all passing it by roughly the same ratio, roughly speaking, two thirds to one third um, or 60, 40. I mean, we can look at the numbers on an individual precinct basis, but that's how it's been shaking out. Now, granted, we still have, we're only 64% of the votes in, there's still more votes to be counted. But like I said, as the more numbers are, are added in, each next update to the election results is probably not going to shift this very significantly on a percentage basis. It's going to still pass. Um, so first of all, I, I'm very pleased that this is going to pass. I, I think um, I think this is going to be a net positive for our community. Um, I think that the concerns over traffic are largely overblown. Um, I think that uh, it's going to eliminate blight in our community. I also think this is great for the housing crisis. Um, I think that um, Kevin McNamara and his team have done a very good job. Um, they did a very, very thorough proposal and they wrote the proposal in such a way that it's essentially locked in. And I know there's some people that don't think it's not exactly locked in, but for for you know from across all the major issues it's basically locked in there's could be a tiny adjustment but it's not like they can take 160 homes and then suddenly put a thousand homes or put in high-rise apartment buildings or eliminate the open space and instead put all the housing there they the this the plan is essentially the plan um you know when they do the construction you know the some of the houses might shift a little but it's not like they're going to reconfigure the streets and reconfigure the whole thing um so i think mcnamara and his team have done a really good job and i think they've built a really good plan now i also think this is interesting is that uh normally uh, people are very nimby, right? They're not in my backyard. They want, they're saying, yeah, you can do construction of housing, but Hey man, not, not near me, you know, put it somewhere else. I don't want more kids in my children's school. I don't want more traffic, more infrastructure challenges. I just want to keep things the way they are. I like it the way it is. Don't change it. That sentiment has been a big deal in not just in Poway, but all across California. In my opinion, that's a big reason why we have a housing crisis because there's been such strict limitation on housing. And it's usually because um, some of the anti-housing or the NIMBY people will frame developers as some sort of an evil force. They're just in it for profit and they're going to build and they're going to cut and run. And and I was just always amazed by that because if you're going to build, you got to have a builder. You have to have a developer. And of course, they're only going to do it for a profit. It's not like they're going to just, you know, do it as a community service and invest their time and energy. Um, it's just like you, when you have a job, you expect to be paid and these developers are going to get paid for doing this. Um, I don't have a grudge mode against developers, but there's still, there's a lot of that. And we, and we saw that in the anti 
Measure P here in Poway. There was a lot of negativity towards the developers. But the other interesting part of this is, is that it passed in all, well, granted, it's only two thirds of the votes in, but it passed in all four districts in Poway by almost identical margins. Now, some people here in Poway have been amplifying this North versus South Poway war. It's a battle and it's grudge mode. And, you know, I lived in South Poway for 11 years. I live in North Poway now. So I think I have a unique perspective. I've lived in both. Um, there is something to that. Okay. You know, the development has been normal with the exception of this farm project. The development has mostly been in South Poway. The affordable housing has mostly been in South Poway. Um, you know, South Poway hasn't had a representative um, on the city council for a long, long time until Kaylin Frank came along. And then many people thought that she was really not South Poway, which is, I thought was a fair point. But still, if if this was a South Poway, North Poway grudge match, as some people made this out to be, then the South Poway people would have voted overwhelmingly no on the farm. And it turns out that they didn't. It turns out that the people in all four districts approved the farm in Poway by roughly the same um, you know ratios. So we we see Poway as a city generally all aligned. Um, you know, the districts are in alignment with the overall vote count. So this this idea of this North versus South Poway divide, I think, is, you know, Mike Devine was telling me earlier that it was, you know, a false narrative. I'm not going to go that far. I don't think it's a false narrative. I just think it's been greatly overblown. And I think when we see the results of the District 4 race, we see the results of Measure P that kind of provides some proof that it's overblown because the voters are voting in a way that's inconsistent with the the, the narrative of North versus South Poway. Um, so there is no civil war in Poway. <laughs> some people want to make it out to be. There are issues. There are differences. There are definitely demographic differences, housing differences, commercial activity differences in the different parts of our city. But, you know, every city is like that. There are different neighborhoods with different makeups and different cultures and 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 uh, different priorities. Poway is no different on that point. Um, but the good news is, is that there are district elections. And South Poway will continue to have the opportunity to have a, um, a spot on the city council. And right now, Kalen Frank is going to be that person. But in 2024, there's going to be another opportunity. Or imagine, you know, Kalen Frank said that she wouldn't uh, take the mayoral position if it were offered to her. She's not going to pursue it. Uh, but just hypothetically pretend that she did and she was appointed mayor, then the district four race could be uh, come up and, and, you know, most likely it would be another appointment. But if not, there would definitely be an election in 2022. So there will still be that opportunity. But I think it was been largely overblown. The other thing that I think has been largely overblown, and I've talked about this previously, too, is the idea of Poway as the city in the country. You know, and I a lot of times I kick off my podcast and I say, it's Poway, the city in the country. And it's not the city in the country. I mean, it, our history is that uh, prior to the 1980s, it was definitely the city in the country. But since the 80s and in the 90s have come along, there's been more development, more housing. There's been a business park that has been built. Um, 
you know, there's been a lot of um, transformation of what used to be the country and it's turning it into just another suburb. Now, granted, we have a little bit of that country flavor and I know people have horses and and chickens and a lot of other, you know, country animals in their in their homes, in their backyards, in their back stables. That does exist. But that's just a tiny fraction of the people that live here in Poway. Um, you know, and as the suburban sprawl has been filled in with Carmel Mountain Ranch and Sabre Springs and, you know, Poway used to be an island unto itself. Now it's kind of connected with the greater San Diego metro- metropolitan area. People were saying that they should that Measure P was a violation of the idea of a city in the country. Um, but I think that they're clinging to something that no longer exists, in my opinion. So I don't think the city is going to change its motto anytime soon uh, because that uh, country flavor people still like, even though it's even though it's kind of mythical in the year 2020, people still like it. And there is, it's a legitimate part of our history, but I don't think it's our reality anymore. So, so what's interesting is this election is is proving to us that the North Poway divide is not as big of a deal. It's still a deal, but it's not, it's, I think there are some people in our city that are overblowing it. Um, I also think that uh, the Poway is not the city in the country, and it hasn't been. And I, I moved to Poway in 1996, and I moved into a house that was built in 1989 um, to, and it, into a community that previously was a cow pasture. People told me stories. It's way on the end of Garden Road in Poway. It was a cow pasture. And now it's a, um, it was a housing development. And I don't think Poway is a city in the country. And now that doesn't mean we need to be the city, the city, you know. Um, And, you know, I know there's a lot of transformations going on at Poway Road. And that's going to change a lot, you know, as they build that housing and more commercial development. Um, We're going to learn. And what happens on Poway Road could be good, um, but could be negative, too. Uh, No doubt that the people that move in to the farm in Poway or the people that move in to the outposts or the people that move into the commons, it's going to be really good for them. They're going to have an opportunity to live in this great city. They're going to be able to experience Poway and enjoy many of the things that we all love in this city. But there's a change. There's going to be change and change is uncomfortable. Um, I think there's an opportunity that that change won't be as impactful as you think it will be. Um, that's it's, you know, all these people moving into these places, they're not all going to be on the road at the exact same time. The traffic right now is a mess on Poway road because of the construction. But once that construction is, is minimized, you know, it's not going to be a flood of people going in and out of those developments. There'll be some, but not a ton. Um, and the same thing is true with the farm in Poway. When those 160 homes are built, now some people are saying that it's going to be 480 because every single homeowner is going to build two granny flats. That's that's a, that's a leap. But even with 160 homes, it's not like all 160 people are going to be driving out of their driveway at the exact same time and flooding a Spola Road at the exact same time. The traffic problems in that area are related to the schools. 
you know, we, we, children don't walk to school anymore. It seems they, everyone seems to get a ride. That's what the traffic is, is, is all about. Pete says, uh, no, but I got to look at it. I'm not sure Pete, what you're saying no to, um, but I don't think, I think when, I think when a lot of this development is done, it's not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. That's my guess. Um, I mean, I, I lived in a community of about, I don't remember how many homes were in my community in, in Sycamore Creek, but it had to be at least a hundred. Um, you know, traffic on those streets was tiny. It wasn't like people were all on the road at the same time. So I, I kind of have a feeling that it, a lot of this is overblown and traffic is usually the go-to objection by most NIMBYists. Um, so we'll see. But again, this, this race is, you know, we're going to still get final results. Are things going to change? You know, probably not. Um, most likely the results will be the same. Now, Steve Voss's race could change. I mean, that one is crazy close. So that one could change. Some of these state propositions, maybe, but probably not. 72% are in, but there's some of them are only at 51 point something percent. Those might change, but probably not. Steve Voss's race definitely could change. It's only a half of 1% that's separating those two. And there's still about 100,000 votes that have to be counted. And the difference right now is only 1,250. That one could change. But for the most part, these other ones aren't going to change. Prop P is definitely not changing. But um, I just felt there was a lot of interesting narratives coming out of this election cycle. You know, I think um, at the national level, you know, I think we're all following that. We all kind of know the, the narratives there. Um, but I thought the, the, at the national level, I think we're seeing relaxing of drug laws. I think that is great for um, minimizing police brutality, uh, minimizing, you know, this injustice problem that we have in America, the incarceration state and, um, you know, people like Breonna Taylor being shot and killed in her own home. We relax the drug laws. A lot of that nonsense, a lot of that violence, a lot of that unnecessary killing goes away. Um, there's going to be a lot less gun violence amongst gang members trying to enforce drug deals or enforce their territory. That's a good thing. And people are going to have more access to, to these medicines. I mean, heck, I have a friend that's a veteran. He tells me he takes gummies sometimes when the PTSD kind of gets a little bit amplified. You know, there's a righteous place for marijuana as a medicine, but it still should be legal even recreationally. It's massively safer than alcohol. And if people were able to access less addictive drugs, then they might, they're likely have no need to go for the more addictive. Right? Now, people think marijuana is a gateway. I think that's a baloney. I mean... I drink alcohol, but it hasn't led me to be doing cocaine and heroin and everything else. I take drugs, alcohol, a little, lots of caffeine <laughs> and lots of sugar. And that's the sugar is a problem. Uh, but those are legal, right? I'm happy to see the drug logs relax. And hey, Oregon, magic mushrooms, man, hats off to you. Um, the local races are, are, you know, they're all interesting. I think we'll keep an eye on the Voss versus Anderson race. That's the one to really focus on. I think the Isa Campanajar one, there's a maybe that one could flip back the other way, but I'm guessing not, not in a heavy Republican district. Um, 
And uh, what else is left? I mean, I think um, all the other races are, you know, they're decisive. And I don't think they're going to change. Barry Leonard and Kalen Frank have been reelected. That's a stone cold lock. Uh, so let's see what happens. Uh, Pete Neal chimes in. No, it may not be as bad, but I have to look at it. Oh, the traffic. Yeah. Well, you know, drive by any other housing development like Bridalwood or the Grove or, um, you know, Sycamore Creek where I used to live or any housing development where a hundred or more homes, like a hundred, 150 homes were built and then stand or park your car, park Calypso on a street corner on the edge of that development and count the number of cars that go in and out in an, in an hour. It's not going to be overwhelming. I mean, there'll be some, but it's not like they're all going to be on the road at the same time. So I think a lot of this is overblown. Okay. So, um, you know, just a reminder, please like, please share, uh, please subscribe to these podcasts. Uh, Matthew Brannigan shares prop 22 looks like a clear no at this stage. I guess, guess you are glad to be wrong on that one. Sorry. I mean a clear yes. So this is prop 22 is the independent contractor one, right? The Uber, Lyft, DoorDash. Yeah, I, I'm very happy that that one is passing because uh, I'm a big supporter of independent contractors. And uh, I was surprised. I thought a left-leaning state, California, also knowing that the big evil corporations, Uber and Lyft, were paying so much money on this campaign, I thought that would be enough to flip it. But it seems people understand the benefit of an independent contractor. And and let me just kind of just share my pitch on this, uh, just in case people don't understand the benefit of all. Some people think, oh, the independent contractor, that poor Uber driver, that poor Lyft driver, and, you know, they don't get paid when they're sitting idle and they don't get benefits and they don't get vacation time. And, and if you break it down and the wear and tear on their car, they're making less than minimum wage and all of that. Now, a lot of that's true. I don't dispute that. But those aren't the only independent contractor jobs. There's a whole bunch of independent contractor jobs. And that could be in that role as, as you know, your be your own boss, but it, you know, it could be that you do consulting and, or, you know, freelance work as a bookkeeper or as a graphic artist or as a photographer, or there's a lots of job opportunities that exist that aren't really jobs that they're gig work. And to me, as an independent contractor, I have a great deal of say on my hours. Um, I have a great deal of say on the work that I do. Um, I have tremendous uh, flexibility and control over my work-life balance. Um, you know, a lot of times, depending on your situation, independent contractors can make more money on an hourly basis than an employee does. But that's because they don't have, you know, they don't have their social security and Medicare and payroll taxes pulled. They don't have vacation time. They don't have a lot of other benefits as a result. And the companies could fire an independent contractor at a drop of a hat. But an independent contractor can walk away from a company at a drop of a hat. It works in two directions. For me as an independent contractor, I love it. It gives me the flexibility to manage my life and my work. And I'm also able to do it. Uh, by having my own podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at two o'clock. So that's a good thing. Um, and I also think it puts people's mind set into a very different mode. Rather than being an employee and punching in and punching out and working for the man, 
if you are an independent contractor, it shifts your mindset so that you're always on the hustle. You're thinking like an entrepreneur. And granted, you're not going to be a millionaire working for Uber or Lyft or DoorDash, but at least it's putting you in that mindset. And you're thinking, wow, if I do this, like hustle a little bit more here, I'm going to make more money. Or if I need to make more money because um, I'm saving up for a specific goal, hey, I can work an extra Saturday night and do that. Well, that mindset will then help that person think, okay, well, what can I do besides driving a car? What kind of other business opportunities can I create? And then suddenly they are in more control over the source of their own income and they're no longer dependent on the man and they have a diverse uh, revenue stream so that if one, if they got, you know, fired by one client, they still have all these other clients they can rely on. They have built their own safety net at the same time. So I think it could be very valuable. But anyways, I digress. Matthew Brannigan says, uh, yeah, 58 to 41. That seems to be the spread on that one at the state level. Where is it? 22. Yeah, 58.4%. Yes. So, I, yeah, I was very pleased to see that one. Um, okay, what else? Uh I'm, I'm very happy I'm back from Pahrump. Um, I love my trip there. Uh, but like I said, I was in Pahrump and, I, you know, this this race may come down to Nevada. Biden has won Michigan and Wisconsin. It appears Michigan was just announced. Looks like he's going to win Arizona. But the difference in the Nevada race is less than one percent. I think Nevada is not going to do another update until tomorrow morning. I was in Pahrump, Nevada. That city is overwhelmingly Trump territory. Unbelievable amounts of people with Trump shirts and Trump hats and Trump decorations on their car and Trump signs, big Trump signs in people's uh, front yards. Um, So many, you know, independent entrepreneurs, which I love to see, that are selling Trump apparel, Trump gear on little makeshift street corner uh, booths. and people are gobbling up all of that uh, merchandise. They are very much aligned with this Trump mentality. It's just so much enthusiasm for Trump. I'm not a fan of him, but I recognize and I, I, I make note of what I see. I'm aware of what's going on. So when the final results come in for Nevada and it's really close, don't count Trump out. Um, you know, depending on where the remaining votes need to come from, there's a good chance Trump's going to win Nevada. Um, now, I said originally that I thought Biden was going to win this. Uh, but I then I as we got closer and closer to the election, I started thinking, well, I'm hedging my bet a little. Trump might win. Right now, I think people are finally believing Biden's going to win Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, because he needed to win those four states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada and Arizona. And it appears he's got three of those four. Could he win the fourth Nevada? It's not by any means a slam dunk that one could flip on you the other way and you'll be surprised and then biden's going to have to depend on a surge of votes coming in from pennsylvania which i know a lot of democrats think will still happen but they he's got to make up at least a half a million votes in pennsylvania i think so who knows okay um we're this is a bit of a premature uh, election post game show because we don't have all the final numbers. So um, as we learn more, um, as we have some more interesting analysis on the results, as we get to the final numbers, I think we're going to learn more. And when we do, I'll share that and, and perhaps my next podcast or maybe another one next week. Um, 
And if you want to continue the conversation with me, please do. You can always reach out to me on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, if you are a member of my John Riley Project Insiders group, that's a Facebook group. I did a, I posted a video there when I was in Pahrump. I was at the Art Bell Compound, the the coast-to-coast -coast broadcaster from the Kingdom of Nye. That was a lot of fun. So check out that video. And um, I got a final quote for you. And this is a little bit of a... A little bit of a spinoff, you know, not necessarily of this election results, but of my previous podcast that you are the president of you. And I think that's important to remember, because depending on how all these election results shake out, for the most part, your life isn't going to change much. You're going to I mean, for the most part, you're going to have the same job, the same family living in the same house. You know, there might be a few things to change on the fringe, but it's not like people's world is going to be rocked. The, where the, the number of cases where that happens is a, is a pretty slim number. So it's important not to get too caught up in the hysteria of all this. I know it's fun to follow. It's fun to watch. We get caught up into it. It's like a sporting event. Which team's going to win? Excuse me. But don't get too hung up on it all. Um, keep things in perspective. You, you are the president of you. You have way more control over your own life and your own pursuit of happiness, your own pursuit of your own happiness than these other turkeys do that are being elected. Now, granted, a lot of them want to limit your in inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's a problem. And we'll call them out when they do it. But still keep in mind that you have far greater control of your life than any of these other politicians. And generally speaking, your life's not going to change much. So here's a quote, my final quote, and it's from Dr. Seuss, um, which, you know, he's a former San Diegan, right? He lived in La Jolla. Um, what was his first name? I know his last name was Geisel. When I went to UCSD, the central library there was called the central library and it wasn't in the center of the campus. Then they renamed it the Geisel library after the author of Dr. Seuss. Well, actually Dr. Seuss was the pen name of Geisel and now central library is in the center of the campus. It's amazing how much UCSD has changed. So um, the quote from Dr. Seuss is, only you can control your future. So there we got words of wisdom from a children's book from Dr. Seuss. So again, I thank you for listening. Thanks for watching. This is episode number, gosh, what was it? Was it 185 of the John Riley Project, a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Hang on to your hat as we get to the final results. I think the big one we're watching right now is San Diego County Supervisor District 2, Steve Voss versus Joel Anderson. Voss has the narrowest of narrow leads. And if he wins, there's going to be a lot of disruption here in our city of Poway. And I'm curious to see what happens. Um, but at any rate, have a great day, friends, and we'll catch you later. Bye-bye.